Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. And welcome everyone to the Vineyard. It's good to be with you all today. My name's Christian Root. I'm the associate pastor here at the Vineyard, and I, I am I'm thrilled to be with you this morning. And welcome to those of you who are joining us out in the parking lot, those of you online as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we are going to have the privilege of taking communion with one another today. And so if you're at home, I'm going to encourage you to go and, and grab some elements. You can grab a piece of bread and a cup of water or a cup of juice. Those would suffice. And we're going to take communion together at the end of the service. And if you're out in the parking lot, one of our elders will be around or has already been around to, to hand you your elements. And so I'm thankful we're going to get to take communion together today. And if you're new to our church this morning, we especially want to thank you for, for joining us and for visiting our church. And so on your way out the door, we're going to have a, a few welcome packets for you on the tables by the exit. And so we want to encourage you to grab one of those on your way out. And thank you again for coming. I'm excited to announce that discipleship training with Pastor Tom is starting on Thursday evenings beginning October 15th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. And DT100 is devoted to helping you build a stronger foundation as a, a new believer or, or to, to grow in your faith with Christ if you're someone who's been walking with the Lord for a while but simply wants to, to go deeper, which should be all of us. And you can sign up today for DT100 out in the lobby. And so Peggy will be there at the welcome desk and she, she can sign you up. Or of course you can sign up online if you email us at info at gcvineyard.org and let us know that you'll be coming. All right, well, if you have a personal need, please contact the church office by phone or by email. So you've been contacting me in the past, but now we're going we're gonna to send you to Amanda. So you're going to email info at gcvineyard.org if you have any needs that uh, we might be able to help you out with. And then lastly, we're not going to be passing around the offering baskets once again this week, but if you have your tithe or your offering with you, I want to encourage you to drop those in the baskets on your way out. You can also give at gcvineyard.org and mail in your tithe as well. Thank you so much, church. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. All right, let's pray now, and then we'll open up to God's word together. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, come, would you, would you be with us? We thank you that you're here. We thank you that you were present as we worshiped, and we just want more of you. We just want more. We just want more of you, Jesus. So I pray that you would prepare our hearts right now to receive from you that you would remove any distractions from our minds, especially those who are listening at home, who have other things going on in the background. Would you help them to dial in and to receive from you today? Jesus, you know where each one of us are at. You know what we need to hear. You know the word that needs to, to be fixed in our heart this morning. And so I, I pray, Father, that you would use me to speak such a word that your words, Holy Spirit, would, would empower mine. It would be you speaking and not myself, Father. No one cares what I have to say, Father. I don't care what I have to say. We want to hear from you. We want your voice, Father. 
I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give me words to speak, even as I, I shared, that I would, I would share things that I, I don't intend or haven't prepared for, that you would speak through me, Holy Spirit, prophetically, and give insight to us. Come, Holy Spirit, now. Come and have your way. Glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be in John chapter 2 today, so if you have your Bible, why don't you flip there now, John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it's going to be on the Sky Bible behind me. Here we go, verse 1, this is what we read. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana, was, in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Amen. Amen. I love this passage. I love this story. It's, it's one of my favorite of Jesus' miracles. And, and I, I love it because here we have Jesus' first recorded miracle. First time he ever did the miraculous that we know of. And his first miracle, it, it's confused commentators over the years because of how unnecessary and unimportant it, it was. Because if you're the Messiah, you, you would think that you would want your first miracle to be your real coming out party, wouldn't you? To be the announcement to the world that you have the power and that you are worth following. If you're the Messiah, the Savior of the world, you don't perform your first miracle at the wedding feast of two unimportant and unknown people, and you don't allow the groom to receive all of the credits so that he's clapped on the back and that he's celebrated by the master of the banquet. But, but here's what we need to understand. Weddings in Jesus' day were a much bigger ordeal than in ours. The wedding feast could last up to seven days. That's a good party. And it would have been an extreme embarrassment for the bride and groom's entire family if they were unable to provide enough wine for their guests. There is even evidence that the family of the bride could sue the family of the groom if the groom's family had failed to provide enough wine. Can you imagine being taken to court for not providing enough wine at a wedding. And so it turns out that Jesus performed his first miracle at some backwoods wedding, all so that two teenagers and their families might save face in their local community. It, it turns out Jesus performed his first miracle not to honor himself, 
but to show compassion to others. And so from his first entrance onto the scene, Jesus is showing us that he is not the Messiah we expected, but that he is something so much better. He is the Messiah he lo- who loves. He is the Messiah who cares. You know, I, I, as I read the Gospels, I just find Jesus so compelling. He's just so compelling. He's just so beautiful. He's so generous. I love reading about Jesus. I mean, who would do this? Who would choose to have their coming out party at an unknown backwoods wedding and not even to receive the credits? So the people are congratulating the groom. But this Messiah, this Savior who cares, he also calls us to follow him. He also calls us to obey. Let's look at verses 3 through 5 now. Let's keep, keep rolling. This is what we read. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Jesus was approached by his mother Mary, who probably was close to the groom's family. That's how she knew about the wine shortage. She was probably helping out with the wedding. And so she asked Jesus to help fix the wine problem. And at first, it seemed as if Jesus was unwilling to help. For he said to his mother, my hour has not yet come. Meaning, it was not yet time for him to be crucified. It's not yet time for his his death and resurrection for the sins of the world. But something Jesus said or something he did in that exchange, it convinced Mary that he would, in fact, help. And and so Mary proceeded to give the servants, and by extension us, some of the best advice we're ever going to hear. Do whatever he tells you, she said. You know, if you, you wanted to give a definition of discipleship, a definition of what it means to follow Jesus in the most succinct way you possibly could. I don't think you could do much better than, than John 2, verse 5. Do whatever he tells you. So how, how do we follow this advice of Mary? How, how do we do whatever Jesus tells us? Well, to begin, church, we obey the clear teachings of Scripture. Just obey the clear teachings of Scripture. You know, one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, many of you, most of you, I would imagine, are familiar with it, is Psalm 119, 105. It's on the front cover of most Bibles, in fact. Your word is a lamp for my feet. It's a light for my path. Now, did you ever wonder why why we're told that the Bible is a lamp for our feet? It's not a lamp for our eyes. It's a lamp for our feet. Well, we need to remember that the psalmist would have lived in the ancient Near East in a desert climate. And so if you were walking at night, particularly if you were outside the city, you would want that lamp pointed right at your feet. You're going to be holding it right about here. You're not casually holding the lamp up high, but it's at your feet. Because in a dry desert climate, you want to make sure that you do not step on anything that might hurt you. You would want to make sure that... For example, you do not step on a poisonous snake at night. You're not focused 10 feet ahead. You're not focused 5 feet ahead. But your lamp, it's pointed at your feet. God's word, the psalmist is saying, 
protects us from making dangerous missteps if we would but read it and then follow the commands found within it. And to neglect his word, then, is to put yourself in a really perilous situation. When the word of God no longer directs our steps, when it no longer guides the decisions that we make, then we begin to head towards dangerous grounds without even realizing this. Haven't you seen this in your own life, friend? When you've neglected the word of God, when you've put it to the periphery, when you've cast it aside in your life, that you have walked into situations you should not have been in, that you have found yourself in places and and looked around and said, how in the world did I end up here? Hasn't that proved true in your own life? It's proved true in mine. It has proved true in mine. And and so listen, in, in a room this size and knowing that there are people who are listening at home right now, knowing that there are people out in the parking lot, I know I know that there are at least a few of us here who are on the verge of making really terrible decisions. I I just know that. You you might be here and you're listening at home, or you're listening at home rather, and you're on the verge of walking away from your spouse. You just are. You haven't told anybody about it. Maybe you haven't told your friends, certainly haven't told your spouse, but you are on the verge of breaking the covenant that you've made. Or you're here and you're on the verge of of moving in with your boyfriend. You've been dating for a while and you you feel like you have a connection. Things are going well. And and it just feels like the next natural step. We're just going to move in together. Even though you know, if you were truly honest with yourself in your heart of hearts, that this is not what the Lord wants for you. That you understand that, that the Bible says that this type of intimacy should be relegated to a marriage. Perhaps you're listening right now, perhaps even from home, and you're contemplating walking away from the church. You might have been hurt at another church in the past. You might have been hurt at this church. You might feel like you've been unnoticed for years, unable to build connections with others despite your your shared faith. And so perhaps you're, you're thinking even now about withdrawing from the church, that you might follow Jesus alone, just you and Jesus. But friend, if if you're contemplating one of these decisions, or if you're playing with a sin right now, a sin that you know isn't right, a sin that you know runs counter to the clear teachings of Scripture, I I just want to encourage you, I want to plead with you to seek help. Seek some help. Talk to Pastor Tom. Talk to me. Talk to your home group leader. See a counselor. And, And please, please, give your attention once again. To the most important book. Would you give your attention again to the Bible? It was written. It was written that it might protect you. It is not a series of rules meant to just squeeze out your fun. It was meant to protect you, to be a roadmap that keeps you from walking into dangerous, dangerous scenarios. Continue on. Jesus doesn't ask us simply to obey him by following the scriptures. He also asks us to obey him as he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. And you know, this is where things get particularly tricky, church, because Jesus' direction doesn't always make sense, does it? Have you ever found yourself there? Jesus is asking you something and it doesn't make a lot of sense to you? But this is what he does for So look at what Jesus tells the servants to do here in verses 6 through 8. Let's look at this again. 
Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the jewels for Jews, not the jewels, for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now, can you imagine being one of the servants and being asked by a man that you don't know, remind you, to take the dirty water to the master of the banquet who thinks he's going to be given wine? I mean, who of us is signing up for that gig at that moment, right? I'd probably be hiding in the bathroom in the hopes that Jesus would ask one of the other servants, right? Because that's a good way to get yourself fired if you're a servant. Hey, take this dirty water, go give it to your boss, and see how he likes it. That's not, that's not a great way to, to move up in the company. And, and yet they obeyed. One of the servants took a glass to the master of the banquet, and the party was saved as a result. The truth is, Jesus often asks us to do things that feel absolutely counterintuitive and awkward. And yet, like the servants in this passage, we're called to do whatever he says anyway. I love how Mike Pilavachi, he's a pastor in the UK, I love how he put it in referring to this passage. He, he said this, he said, do, what, do whatever he tells you, Mary said at the wedding at Cana. She doesn't say, do whatever he tells you when what he tells you makes sense. Do whatever he tells you when what he tells you isn't too risky. Do whatever he tells you when you agree with whatever he tells you. That is not obedience. That is happening to agree with Jesus. I get convicted every time I read that sentence. That is not obedience. That is happening to agree with Jesus. Obedience is when you don't get it, when you don't understand it, when it doesn't make sense, and when you have to go out on a limb. And perhaps the Lord is asking you to obey him right now in a way that just doesn't make sense to you. You're being asked by the Lord to initiate reconciliation with your sibling, even though you, it was your sibling who started and then exacerbated the conflict. You ever been there? Asked to be the one to apologize first. Asked to be the one to reconcile first. Even though you know that it was the other person who really fanned the flames. You're being asked by the Lord to serve with an organization like Meals on Wheels. Even though your schedule already feels packed. Friends, if you want an easy way to serve. Easy way, low bar way. You can sign up and serve. Give your lunch hour. Deliver some meals with Meals on Wheels. There are people who need it. You can be a blessing to others by serving with an organization like that. You're being asked by the Lord to leave your job, even though the pay is great and you've worked there for years. Has that ever been your, your life? Or you're being asked to actually bless an ex-spouse in some way, even though they've caused you untold hurt in the past. Friends, the reality is Jesus asks us to do hard things all the time. And so if you would say, you know, I don't feel like Jesus ever asked me to do hard things. I would suggest to you that it's because you're simply not listening. It's because the connection between you and Jesus is so small or so regularly, so regularly interrupted. There we go. I would, connect, I would suggest to you that the connection between you and Jesus is so weak that you're simply not hearing from him. Because 
if you follow Jesus, he will inevitably ask you to do hard things. Ask you to do things that he's not asking your friends to do, or your neighbors to do, or your pastor to do, but he's asking you to do. Because that's what discipleship looks like. Pastor John Piper says this. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. I would say maybe you're aware of two of them, right? And you might be aware of two things, and you might think, okay, I understand what God's doing in my life right now. And, and, and Piper's saying, no, no, he's doing 10,000 things right now. You have, you have a handle of, of two of them. And what Piper is getting at is that we're never going to fully understand everything the Lord is doing in our lives at any one time. And because we can't understand it all, there will be times when God asks us to do things that feel utterly foolish. But five years down the road, or perhaps 15 years down the road, we'll be able to look back and say, that was exactly what was needed to happen. Listen, I'm I'm not much of a chess player, but I, I know this much about chess. The difference between a regular chess player you and me, and and a really, really good chess player, someone who competes at a high level, is that a really good chess player can see many moves ahead. They're, they're They're not just analyzing the game through their next move. They're thinking about what they're going to do five moves from now. And they might even make a move that looks counterintuitive or even foolish to a more inexperienced player. Because they know that even though their their move might cost them a a knight, it might cost them a rook, that three moves from now, they're going to have their opponent in check. That's the way that it works. And and friend, do you know that Jesus isn't simply thinking five moves ahead of you? Do you know that one yet? He's not even thinking ten moves ahead of you. He's so far ahead of you, so far ahead of me, so much more aware of what's going on that he's already finished the game in his head. And so when Jesus comes to us and he asks us to move to a position on the board that feels scary, that feels illogical or unreasonable, that seems to put us in a vulnerable position, let us trust that this is not his first game of chess. Now listen, listen, I I need to make a disclaimer here. I'm not suggesting that every kooky idea in your head or in my head is necessarily from the Lord, okay? It's not what I'm saying. Not what I'm saying. I don't want to, yeah, I'll stop. Doing strange things that the Lord hasn't asked you to do does not make you obedient. It just makes you weird, okay? (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Kind of. Kind of. Don't email me, but yeah. And so, listen, we need to make decisions in community, right? And and we need to include leaders and friends who are believers, and we need to include our family in discussions when contemplating a big decision. I'm not suggesting that we can just follow every, every fleeting idea in our heads. We need to determine if our plans line up with Scripture. That's really, really important. But what I am saying is this, church, let us not automatically assume that simply because something is hard or challenging or unnerving that it isn't from the Lord. Jesus might, in fact, be calling you into leadership in this church. Some of you are being called into leadership. He knows about your weaknesses, and he still wants you to lead anyway. Isn't that amazing? That your God is so kind, that your Father is 
is just so generous that he knows about all your junk. He knows it better than you do. And yet he still, at times, invites us into something new, invites us into positions of influence. And Jesus may, in fact, be asking you to end your dating relationship, not because he wants you to be miserable and lonely forever, but because his plans are simply different than your own. And Jesus may, in fact, be asking you to care for an aging parent or to serve with a homeless ministry in this city or to begin a Bible study at your workplace during the lunch hour. Church, if we are to mature in our walk with Jesus, we need to live with this unflinching belief that Jesus is better at directing our lives than we are. We need to live with an unwavering confidence that our lives will be more fulfilling, more joy-filled, and more fruitful if we allow Jesus a seat at the decision-making table of our lives. Now hear me on this. I want you to really lean into this point. Jesus will never ask you or me to do anything that we wouldn't willingly do ourselves if we had all the information he had. So I'm going to say that again. I want this to really sink in. Jesus will never ask you to do anything that you wouldn't willingly do yourself if you had all the information that he had. If you saw everything that he saw, if you had all the info that he, that he has, then you would willingly, without even needing to be, to be asked, would jump into whatever he's asking you to do. His perspective is just so, so much higher, so much better than ours. He's not a rigid taskmaster who just wants to squeeze the fun out of your life. He is a loving Savior who died for you, who came that you might have life and have it to the full, and who is so much more aware of what you need than you are. Let us not retain control of our decision-making so that we live safe but ultimately small and purposeless lives. Let, let me bring it down for a moment. Let me, let me share a story that I heard recently that it was really helpful for me. This is a true story I just heard. And I recently heard a story about a, a young man who I'll call David because his name wasn't given. And this young man, he recently came to a vineyard church in England, in Nottingham, a city in England. And if you're new to the vineyard, if you're new to Grove City Vineyard, you might not know that there are now 2,500 vineyard churches all over the world. It's in six continents now. There's vineyard churches. So if someone wants to plant a church in Antarctica, we'll get all seven. And so maybe God is asking you to sign up for that. But there's now 2,500 vineyard churches all over the world. And this, this particular young man came to, a, came to know the Lord at a church in, in England, a vineyard. And after coming to faith, David heard a sermon one Sunday morning on the need for generosity. And David, new to the church as he was, he didn't particularly like this message, which stated that his money was no longer his. I wonder if you remember back to when you first started following Jesus. Maybe you heard your first message on money. It wasn't particularly, wasn't particularly fun for you. But then David went, and, and he did a really dangerous thing. He prayed that afternoon. And as he was praying that afternoon, the Holy Spirit reminded him about an incident that had occurred years before. Years earlier, when he was still presumably in high school, David and his friends had trashed a local church. They had absolutely trashed it, and they were never caught. 
Now, David had just received an inheritance after the death of one of his relatives, and he felt like the Holy Spirit was asking him to give the inheritance to the church that he had vandalized years before. So David picked up the phone and called the pastor of that particular church. And as it turns out, there was a a new pastor at this particular church. He wasn't around when David and his friends had vandalized the building, but he was still, of course, more than willing to receive this generous gift. Why not? And they exchanged the proper banking info so that the money could be wired. Well, the wired money, somehow it didn't go through. So they couldn't figure it out, but the pastor couldn't get the money. And so David called the pastor back, and as they were chatting, the pastor suggested that David come to the church that that Sunday, and give the money in person. So David went to the church. Imagine, again, this young guy, probably in his mid-20s, and during the Sunday service, he got up and said, Hello, none of you know me, but years ago I vandalized this church. Think about how awkward that would be. Oh my gosh. Come before a bunch of strangers, a bunch of people you don't know, and lay that on them. But David went on to say, recently I've given my life to Jesus and I'd like to give this financial gift as a way of of paying you back for the damage that was done. Now here's where the story gets really good. Because the event hadn't occurred that far back, many who were in church that day were attending the church when it was vandalized. They remembered showing up for church and finding the sanctuary and all of the adjoining rooms absolutely trashed. And and they remembered taking that Sunday morning to help clean up the mess instead of having a regular worship service. Can you imagine arriving at at this church on a Sunday morning and all of the chairs in the sanctuary have have just been thrown around and the sound equipment and the computers have all been smashed and the stage and the walls are covered with graffiti? mess. But here's what those who were present years earlier also remembered. As they were cleaning up the mess, their pastor said that they needed to take some time to pray for those who had vandalized the church. So the church got together, and while some of them, I'm sure, did so very begrudgingly, very begrudgingly, they prayed for those who had trashed their church, prayed for their salvation. Friends, don't you see? Don't you see? When you listen to the voice of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, even if it's inconvenient, even if it's confusing or uncomfortable, you will get to see God do the most amazing things. Because that church obeyed the Spirit's leading and prayed for those who had trashed their space, a young man came to know the Lord as a result. And because that young man obeyed the voice of Jesus when he was told to give away his inheritance, which was probably a pretty good sum, probably would have been pretty nice for a young guy in his 20s who was just starting out in his career, because he was willing to obey, he was able to bless the very church he had earlier vandalized and and learn that this church, this group of people, had been praying for him. What an awesome story. Let me close, church, with this last thought. This week, I was struck by a couple of verses in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. I was just struck by these verses. This is what we read. 
Paul says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. This is the part that that just really jumped out at me. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And and as I read that, I I just thought, Lord, that's what I want. That's what I want. I I mean, there's all kinds of other things that I want or I think I want or in, in any particular moment that I want. But what I really want, what I really want, Father, is to live a life worthy of you and to please you in every way. And friend, if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, isn't that what you want? In your heart of hearts, if the Spirit of God lives inside you, wouldn't you say, that's what I want. I want to live a life worthy of the Lord. I, I want to please him in every way. And you know, it, as I read that, I, I just thought, when I get to the end of, of my life, whether it's 50 years from now, or I get a cancer diagnosis here soon, and it is five years from now, I'm just not going to care at the end of my life about my waistline, and I'm not going to care about my complexion, and I'm not going to care about the car that I was driving. There's just going to be one question that dominates my mind. There's going to be one question, having been with many people at the end of their life, there's going to be one question, if you're a follower of Jesus, that dominates your mind at the end. Have I lived a life worthy of you? Certainly not a perfect life. Certainly not a perfect life. Not a sinless life. Not a life without a lot of mistakes and trial and error. A lot of stubbornness. A lot of, a lot of ignorance. But have I, by your grace, sought to live a life worthy of the calling you've given me as a child of God? And have I sought to please you? That's going to be the question that dominates your mind. And friend, how do we even pursue such, such a goal? How do we even chase such a lofty ambition? Well, we live a life worthy of the Lord, a life pleasing to the Lord by choosing to obey Him in things both big and small. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. Not because we're trying to earn His approval. That approval was secured for us on the cross. Praise the Lord for that. But as those of us who have His approval, as those who have been declared righteous in Him, we seek to honor Him, we seek to please Him by obeying the Scriptures and by obeying the the voice of Jesus as He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. That's how we do it. Let us not for a second try to live comfortable, cushy lives that just make sense to everyone else around us. But let us remember that he is a Messiah who loves, a Savior who loves enough to perform his first miracle for a couple of unknown teenagers so that they could save face. Let us remember that the scriptures were given to us so that we might not make a dangerous misstep. Scriptures are are a lamp for our feet. Let us remember that while God is doing 10,000 things in your life right now, you are aware at best of three in them. Let us remember that he is, he is not an amateur chess player. This is not his first game of chess. And let us remember these things so that we might do whatever he tells us. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand, church? Why don't we stand? We're going to sing one last worship song, and then we're going to...
to have the opportunity to take communion together. This time we're going to have the privilege of taking communion together. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, we encourage you to take those elements out now. If you're at home, please grab those elements out in the cars. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of being able to take communion together. Thank you for the gift of being able to gather with brothers and sisters who share the same victory that belongs to us. The victory that belongs to every man and woman and child who has given their life to follow the Lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. Thank you that no matter what this world throws at us, Father, no matter what 2020 throws at us, that we know that we are men and women and children of the victory, that the victory of Jesus belongs to us. We know that the end of the story has already been written. We thank you that we're going to dwell with you for all eternity. We thank you that our sins have been washed away. Thank you that you chose us before the creation of the world. Thank you that you see all of our sin, all of our junk, and yet you love us anyway. Thank you, Father, for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you, Jesus, for willingly laying down your life on our behalf. We can never repay you, Jesus. We can never pay you back, and we certainly would never try. But we thank you that you include us among the family of God. We thank you that you are for us. We thank you, Jesus, for the cross. We worship you, Jesus, and we pray all.